The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. It's a beautiful day here, and we're entering into uh, step number two, part number two of our Adventure in Faith 2018, and our theme is Bridges to Breakthrough. So we're learning how to be a bridge builder, how it is that we can bridge from breakdown to breakthrough, how we can build a bridge from pain to possibility, a bridge from the past to the future, a bridge from where we are to where we can be. And in this process, we're also, as a community, bridging Mile High Church into a new chapter of greatness and growth, which is unfolding for us. And I pray that as we do this, we're equipping each and every one of us to be masterful in working with change whenever it comes along in our own individual lives. And it will uh, many, many times. And so we have a wonderful symbol of the Bridges to Breakthrough right here on our platform that Robert Molesworth or his facilities team constructed for us. It's gorgeous. And uh, we'll be putting a plank each week into this bridge uh, to complete it. Uh, and uh, seven steps from the old to the new. And last week we inserted the first plank, and you'll see it right up there. It's the plank of courage. And courage is the virtue that is required if we're to take the first step, and that is accepting change. If you're going to build a bridge, you've got to accept change with great, great courage. Now, change is one of those things that's a part of life. It's, it's, it's the evolutionary principle that's moving all life forward so that it doesn't get too static and too staid. And it's that same relentless force that's at work in your life and mine to keep us growing, to keep bringing us to the leading edge, and to keep us accessing greater resources within us than we have yet discovered. So it's a very thing, and yet it, it frustrates people as much as it's a part of life. It's frustrating because I think hidden within most of us is the desire that if we could, we'd love to just control life, you know, <laughs> and we'd love to just keep it pretty much the way we want it, the same all the time. I love the, the late, great comic George Carlin who said, just when I found out the meaning of life, they changed it. <laughs> and uh, there's a cute story about this lady who went to a new dentist for herself Uh, And she writes, while waiting for my first appointment in the reception room of a new dentist, I noticed his certificate, which bore his full name. Suddenly, I remembered that a tall, handsome boy with the same name had been in my high school class some 40 years ago. Upon seeing him, however, I quickly discarded any such thought. This balding, gray-haired man with the deeply lined face was too old to have been my classmate. But after he had examined my teeth, I asked if he had attended our local high school. Yes, he replied. Well, when did you graduate, I asked. And he answered, in 1957. And I exclaimed, well, you were, you were in my class. And he looked at me quizzically, and then he asked, well, what did you teach? <laughs> and so you see, the, the flow of change can be humbling as well. So very, very humbling. Truly, it's a transformational step when we are willing to face, embrace, and grace change. And as we do that together here at Mile High Church uh, in this time of change. And I know that here's the key. Enormous, great opportunity, more than we can even imagine, waits for every one of us when we're willing to flow with and grow with change. So that brings us then to the second topic And the second plank in our bridge, the second aspect of bridging, 
and that is honoring feelings. Honoring feelings. Now, most people feel about feelings kind of like they feel about change. (laughs) Resistance. Disregard. Suspicion. Uh, That's usually what uh, people have felt. And yet it's essential. If we're really going to build a bridge that we acknowledge and work creatively with feelings. The feelings, tones that we all have. And if we don't, here's what happens. If we don't, we tend to sabotage the creation of new and greater things in our life. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Some, some principles uh, that seem so true to me about feelings. The first thing is that feelings are a natural and beautiful aspect of our human experience. Now, I know that there are some teachers out there who would declare that feelings are negative and should be avoided, but that's not the case at all. They're natural. They're beautiful parts of us. And, and we have the opportunity to get back in touch with this and also with how we may have numbed that feeling nature within us as we've moved on down the path of our lives. James Miller wrote, Feelings are not a source of weakness, but a resource of strength. They are not for occasional using, but are inescapable. To know what we think, we must know how we feel. It is feeling that shapes beliefs and forms opinion. Feelings have formed, accumulated, and developed our personality over a lifetime. Now, just remember when you were a child, a little one. Children feel greatly. And they exude it all, you know, the, the joy and the laughter, the curiosity, uh, the sadness and the pain. They're out there with it. I mean, children, when we were, we were children, we went out to play and we gave it our all and inevitably we'd get hurt. And, oh, we would feel that intensely. And we would cry and be angry. But then in our innate wisdom, we'd run and find nurturing And then we'd ask for a sympathy treat, of course. (laughs) And then we'd go back out and play again. Usually with the same kids we may have been hurt with or by. We'd go out and play. You see, it seems to me that as children, we hadn't yet blocked our feeling nature. With children, we, we knew of our feelings and we knew a healing pathway with our feelings back into the dance of our life. And we need to do that as well. Because we are beings of feeling, because we're beings of heart. You know, I have felt of late such an enormous range of feelings. Uh, Having announced my retirement uh, from this role as senior minister in in March, um, the feelings have been this incredible tapestry for me. First of all, I, I feel such joy. I have felt such incredible feelings of joy for all that Mile High Church is. Uh, Joy for you as an incredibly committed and powerful group of people who love this stuff and live it. Joy that we've got Dr. Michelle and Reverend Josh here to lead the way forward and an incredible ministerial team with them and great practitioners and the board of trustees. I'm so joyous. And, And also I've been feeling these feelings of so much appreciation So much appreciation for Ernest Holmes who brought this stuff forward. So much appreciation for all my teachers. So much appreciation for the people that I've learned from and with. So much appreciation for all we've created here and for what we stand for 
uh, in, in this world. So much profound appreciation. And there's also been sadness uh, and, and feelings of great nostalgia. I mean, to have been a part of something this long and to make such a major shift as we all do when we make shifts in our life, there's, there's the sadness. And for me, it's also a, a kind of nostalgia. Uh, um, uh, Eric will tell you, I'm just a blithering sea of tears a lot. And, and, and poignancy, everything's poignant to me now. I mean, in the next five months, it's like everything, everything I do, so well, it'll be my last time doing that, um, in that capacity, my last time there. And it, it brings up this, this wonderful mix of appreciation, joy, sadness, cherishing, poignancy. And it's, it's this interesting, interesting thing. And I think that that's the, the beautiful tapestry of feelings we all have. And, and, and it's not to be pushed away, but it makes it richer and more meaningful uh, in my life. And I pray it would in yours. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about a time when I had graduated from the University of Denver. Now, I had lived at the campus all those four years. I hadn't lived at home. But when I graduated, I moved back home for the summer. And then at the end of the summer, I was packing my car up to go out to our movement's seminary in California, in Los Angeles. And so I had packed up all my things on the day I was going to push out. And uh, then I went back in the house and I was looking for my mom. And at first I couldn't find her. But then, to my surprise, I found her standing right in the middle of my now unusually clean bedroom. (laughs) And she was crying. And I felt so bad. And I just went up to her and said, I'm so sorry. Like that, she snapped out of it and she turned around, grabbed me by the shoulders and kind of shook me. And she said, oh yeah, there are tears of sadness because I know that you're not going to be in this house or in this room ever again. That the chapter we've had is changing and shifting. So yes, yeah, I feel the sadness. But moreover, these are tears of joy because I'm so proud of you and so excited about your journey and what you're up to. I'm so joyous. She said, so, understand that. And then she said, now get out of here. (laughs) And it taught me a lesson. Not to project my own stuff onto her, but to inquire as to this interesting tapestry of the feelings that we all feel as we go down the paths of our lives and as changes emerge for us. But they're beautiful and they're natural. You know, another thing, uh, I like to also, as a key to this, I like to distinguish between feelings and emotions. See, feelings are our natural, spontaneous, authentic responses to the shifts, the changes, the activities, the beauties of life. Whether it's the, yes, the the, the beauties, the joys, the precious, the wonderful in life, as well as the painful and the difficult in the heart. It's the natural, authentic responses that that emerge from our hearts in the presence of those kinds of things in life. Now, emotions, on the other hand, I feel are actually old, unhealed, hurtful aspects of life that we have pushed down. That when they were authentic feelings, we didn't want to deal with them. 
So he pushed them down into the subconscious and there we've created something of a toxic emotional uh, percolator, a toxic emotional pressure cooker. And the thing about carrying that kind of thing that, that Eckhart Tolle calls our pain body is that it not only is apt to explode inappropriately into our life because you can't keep that stuff down even though we think we can, um, but more than anything, whenever we try to create something new or create a new, more abundant expression in life, our unhealed emotional body sabotages it because the most creative part of us is still anchored in the old. So part of us visionarily wants to go create something new, but the energetic part of us is still involved in and caught up in the old. And, and that field is enormously powerful. And so we tend to recreate and draw in just more uh, aspects of the old because we're still carrying that stuff. And so it's very powerful to learn how to... We'll talk more about how we can work with these things um, and, and understand how we can move forward in this life and not get pulled backward. And the other thing that <clears throat> I like to always remember about feelings and, and emotions is that they are either rooted in love or fear. All feelings and emotions either are coming forth out of love or coming forth out of fear. And of course, when our hearts are open and we have the feelings of, of, of laughter and of creativity and of caring and of compassion and those kinds of things, awe and wonder. And, and when we're caught up in our own fears, we're likely to be expressing anger and hurt. But you know, when you really get down to it, all anger and all hurt are really masks that fear wears. And, and if we can just get to the bottom of our anger and our hurts, we'll find we're afraid. And if we discover that, then we can open our hearts. And we can bring ourselves back into the love that heals everything. We can love ourselves. We can call on that greater power within us. And we can heal. Because as it says in the Bible, perfect love casts out fear. So feelings. Are you, are you ready to... Embrace them more authentically because they're a rich part of you. And are you willing to let the old stuff that's been untended get resolved and released? Well, today we have a new virtue that accompanies this step of honoring feelings. And it's the virtue of honesty. And the symbol that we have for honesty is the key. And indeed, honesty is a magic and profound key for bridging for creating a bridge. After we've accepted changes with courage, it's about honoring our feelings with honesty. With honesty. You see, here's the healing path. The healing path is honoring our feelings honestly and guiding ourselves back to love. The healing path is honoring our feelings honestly and guiding ourselves back to love. And so today I want to talk about, I want to conclude with uh, magic, the magic keys for honesty. I like that, magic keys of honesty. Kind of has a nice ring to it. So keys give you entrance, don't they? You can enter with a key. So with the magic key of honesty, I first of all invite you to enter the richness of feelings. Now you're getting the, the gist that our feelings are a rich arena for us to deepen, to savor, to grow, and to expand in this life. And to not let them congest 
into the emotional body, but to, to be present and expressed really is what grows us and makes our experience most meaningful. You know, there's a, a letting go process with old emotions or even present feelings. Uh, first of all, it's not to push them away, but at some point, it's important to let those emotions or those feelings just be present. And again, the, 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 the impulse we've been taught, many of us, is to not let them be present, to push them away, to get beyond them, to reject them, deny them. But it's very powerful to let the feeling or emotion simply be here and to be present and, and to simply witness its energy and to do that without judging it or judging ourselves, without trying to change it, and definitely without trying to create a story about it or entering into old stories about that feeling, but to simply allow that energy and that sensation to be there and to witness it. Just witness it with compassion and honoring for what it is, whatever it is. And what we find, and we practice this at the meditation retreat and in our classes and such, is that that energy arises, but if we'll just impartially witness it, and again, not judging it or trying to change it or analyze it or get into stories about it, but just witness it, it eventually dissipates and flows away. And it leaves us free to make new choices then and to go forward in another way, inspired perhaps and enhanced by the experience we've had with those feelings or emotions. Witness. Let it flow. My beloved, beloved wife, Erica, the best thing ever happened to my life. Um, she's given me permission to tell a little of her story, which a couple of years ago she actually wrote some of this material down. Uh, and it was ab- about her own um, delayed grieving and how she finally got around to honoring it and not pushing it away. You see, in 1985, her first husband, Mark, died from leukemia. And she had our two boys, who were three and six at the time, and she found herself in deep shock and a single mom and with all the responsibilities that that entails. And as we can only uh, understand, uh, it was a devastating time. She writes about her strategy and all that. I did not want to accept this ending because to accept it would mean I'd have to feel pain. And I'd felt enough pain. Pain of things that would not be anymore. Hopes, plans gone undone. I thought that if I could push the pain away for a couple of years, it would just go away. So my life was kept very busy I focused on others' lives and others' problems, and I created just a little chaos each day. See, all those were her strategy to avoid feeling. And she did this for several years. And yet the wheels of evolution and transformation are always turning in our life, however we might want to resist them or or shift that. And they were for her. Uh, She tells me that it was at that time she began to get interested in metaphysics and in a personal growth work. Uh, And she also made a courageous choice that it was time to get on with her life and move away from where she had been living with the old circles of friends and create newness. And and so she did. And she made the bold decision uh, to move here to Denver. And then, in the course of that, she accidentally found Mile High Church here. 
Then she met a wonderful and talented man and married him. Thank God. And yet in all of that then, she was brought to this crisis point because it triggered memories. And what she calls a tug of war between her heart and her deeply held pain and fears. So in writing about that, she said, so I decided to accept love. And that meant completing my feelings, feeling the pain, crying the tears, talking and letting it go, loving and accepting it for what it was and was not. This opened all sorts of doors I would never have been able to see had I stayed hiding out in life. My life is richer and fuller since I leaned into the process And I'm convinced that life cannot open a new door until the old one is closed for good. She is one remarkable lady. And such a testament to me of somebody who can go through the fire and eventually return to her heart and do this first thing with that master key of honesty to enter the richness of feeling so that we're not bogged down and shut down in this life. And I'm trying my best to do that through all that I'm walking through. And I invite you to as well, I invite us all to as a community as well, enter the richness of feelings. And with that master key of honesty, I also invite us to enter the newness of purpose Because as we allow this energy to no longer be pent up, but expressed and flowing beautifully, inevitably new purpose can lift us up and be a part of the alchemy of our transformation. I'm thinking of a wonderful psychiatrist, one of the most brilliant of our time, uh, the late Viktor Frankl. I think a picture of him will be up here. Uh, He wrote that book, Man's Search for Meaning, which really recounted his discoveries when he went through the horrific experience of being in a Nazi uh, concentration camp and, and seeing the devastation of it. But making this radical discovery about those who survived and those who didn't. And the ones who survived were the ones who who continued to hold on to a meaning and did not let that get pride away from them. And, and, and how that new meaning could recontextualize the experience and, and empower people as nothing else could. And he would declare, everything can be taken from a person but one thing. The last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Meaning. And I'm thinking also of a friend of Mile High. We've had him here two or three times. A wonderful guy, Azim Kamisa, a part of our season for nonviolence. In 1985, Azim's son, Tariq, was shot and killed by a 14-year-old gang initiate. He was told to go out and he'd be a gang member if he shot somebody. And he killed Tariq when he was delivering pizza to the gang house. Well, that, of course, it thrust Azim into the deepest grieving and enormous anger at, at the gangs, at this child, and at our country as well. The violence rife in it. And he was so caught up in this. It was almost consuming. When, when they lowered the, 
the casket into the ground, he was so overwrought that he jumped in there and wanted them to just put the dirt on him too. But they pulled him out and he just continued his grieving. But in his faith tradition, it is said that you have 40 days for bitterness and grieving. But at the end of 40 days, you must go beyond it. You must let it go or you will limit the ongoing life of the one who has departed. You will stop them from moving on on their soul path if you don't give it up after 40 days. Now, this was one of the hardest things he said he'd ever done. But he leaned into it, and he started letting go of the bitterness, letting go of the grief. He'd, he'd been in its throes for 40 days. And over a period of a month or so, he began to feel something shifting. And then he remembers a time when the bitterness seemed to melt. And he got a greater perspective. And it was then that he could visit that 14-year-old in the prison and forgive him. He would then go on to become one of our greatest teachers in this nation of forgiveness. He's created a foundation in his son's name and runs it with the grandfather of the shooter. And he's also pledged that when that young man is out of prison that he'll put him to work in the foundation as well. There's a meaning that can lift us as we allow that old energy or that deep pain or whatever the case may be to flow out Meaning can lift us up. Enter the newness of meaning as you also enter the richness of feelings. But there's one more. Oh, I invite you to enter the sacredness of joy. The sacredness of joy. I want to right out front say that joy is not an emotion or a feeling. Joy is a spiritual quality in you. It's a spiritual quality as real as the love which is the divine in you. It's a spiritual quality that the ups and downs of life cannot suppress. It's a spiritual quality that endures in the great times and in the devastating times. It's a spiritual quality that is not frivolous happiness. It's the deep power of a joy of being. It's the joy of knowing you're alive. It's the joy of knowing that no matter what's going on, this too shall pass It's the joy of knowing that you transcend ultimately whatever has gone on in this life, that you're in this world, but you're not of it. There's that deep joy that you can stand on, even if you're grieving right now. There's a deep joy in our being. When the children of Israel were in their Babylonian captivity, they were oppressed. And they suffered, and they worked in a slaving way all the uh, daylight hours. And they... at as dusk approached, they'd crawl back to their encampment and, and eat their meager meal. But when that was done, then they'd go down to the river. And in the willows beside the river, they always stored harps and musical instruments. And they would take out those harps and instruments and they'd dance. They'd dance. They laid claim no matter what they were enduring, to the deep joy of their being, and they danced. Do you have a harp in the willows? That inclination, that readiness, that willingness to touch on that deep joy of being and to dance. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. 
This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.